0: Alright, we are in Hebrews 10. Before you can become part of one of the most elite military groups uh, in the armed forces of America, a Navy SEAL, you have to endure something called Hell Week. Uh, this has been well documented, well written about, something super secrets here. Um, recruits are put through in- incredible tests of physical and mental strength and endurance. They run long distances. They lift heavy objects. They paddle boats in the ocean. They, For several days, they're wet, cold, hungry, tired. They're not allowed to sleep very much or sometimes even eat very much. They're going through this process to try and replicate some of the most intense co- conditions of combat. By day two, they are wiped out. By day three, they cannot see straight. By day four, they are falling asleep while standing up. And if you want to quit, all you have to do is to ring this bell in the center of the camp. And the trainers are constantly tempting them, this, tempting them with this opportunity. If you, you want to go get a hot shower, you want to go sleep in a warm bed, you want to get some sleep, just ring the bell. Take off. Get out. I'm trying to weed out the recruits who aren't going to make it in combat situations. Over and over telling them, just go ring the bell. And what happens when a soldier begins to walk toward the bell, there's another voice. It's the other recruits telling him, don't, don't quit, stay, keep at it. And there's usually two uh, encouragements, two reasons why. Number one, look how far you've already come. And number two, think about the prizes before you, becoming a Navy SEAL. Michael Kruger in his book on Hebrews rightly sees the parallel between the experience of those SEALs and what the author of Hebrews is saying to believers in the first century Also faced with the temptation to quit because of how hard it is to continue on with Jesus and his people, the persecutions, the struggles they were facing. And this book with one loud exhortation is saying, don't quit. Continue on with Jesus. There's no one like him. Now, we don't face the same temptations of persecution today that they faced then. There are some professing Christians today who are trying to make it seem like we in the West are facing the same persecutions. We're really not. We've been saying for so long in the Christian church in America that persecution is coming. Maybe now people are trying to invent persecution to have some self-fulfilling prophecies. I don't don't know. We're still very free, very free to do what we're called to do as a church. It may not always be that way, but we are not there yet. A greater temptation for us isn't to quit in the face of persecution, but to quit in the face of apathy. Apathy. Frustration, distractions, hurt, the normal struggles of life that all of us go through as human beings, Christian or non-Christian, the constant fight to really believe with everything in us that Jesus is indeed better than everything else we are tempted to chase. And so this passage helps us as well. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet, in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my, righteousness, my, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved." This entire closing section of Hebrews 10 has been this encouragement, exhortation, and warning, just kind of repeated. Because of who Jesus is and everything Jesus has done for our salvation redemption, draw near into God's presence. You are invited and wanted. Hold fast to your confession of faith. Draw near to each other in community. You're going to need each other more and more as we head to the final day when Jesus returns. And then last week, we saw probably the strongest warning passage in the book, a reminder that to turn away from Jesus and turn away from this life we're living as his people is to only find God's wrath, condemnation, and judgment. And then the author comes back to what he really thinks about them. This is really not true of you, he says. But if you're going to be a people who don't quit, who don't ring the bell, you're going to have to look back and you're going to have to look forward. To maintain faithfulness and steadfastness, you have to look back and you have to look forward. So let's first look at I'll look back. Verse 32, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Now enlightened here speaks to the idea of conversion. Your eyes were opened, you received the knowledge of the truth. We looked at that last week and this public identification and transformation from Judaism into Christianity brought about a a hard struggle with sufferings and he goes into more detail in verse 33. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. Sometimes you received the ridicule of taunts and afflictions, but sometimes you struggled and suffered because you stood next to those who received the taunts and the afflictions and the accusations. Same thing with prison, verse 34. Certainly some of them were, were imprisoned, or they stood with those who were imprisoned, and their own property and possessions were confiscated simply because they were identifying with the prisoners. Now, for historical context, there's evidence of a persecution of Jewish Christians in Rome that happened under Emperor Claudius around 49 AD that this could be referring to. An uprising in the Jewish community caused by the presence of Jewish Christians who were probably proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, and the Jews reacted like they did in many other cities and says, that's blasphemy, who do you think you are, you can't say that. So Claudius comes along. He doesn't like this uprising. It's it's unsettling to the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And so he expels the Jewish Christians from Rome and the Jewish synagogues because they're troublemakers. It was marginalizing. It was humiliating. And we are, this is written in the 60s AD, we're just a few short years from an even worse persecution that's about to break out uh, under Emperor Nero. Who blamed the Christians for the great fire in the city of Rome, and at that time is when Peter and Paul were also martyred for their faith. And that's about to happen. Now we don't know for sure if that's the context of what the writer's referring to, but if it wasn't, it was something very similar that caused public taunts, afflictions, which carries with it the idea of violence, imprisonment, the confiscation of private property. This is what they've all experienced together. But the focus is not on the hard things they've experienced together, but how they've responded to the hard things they've experienced together. Verse 32, they've endured. Verse 33, they were companions to the sufferers. The, verse 34, they were sympathizing with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of their property because they were such sympathetic companions. Accepted with joy the confiscation of their property. This is not begrudging companionship or fellowship. This is wholehearted fellowship. Whatever hard we face, we face it together, and we rejoice together, and we weep together, and we suffer together. If me being your sympathetic companion right now means I suffer too, I joyfully embrace that reality. What an incredible description of the body of Christ. And if you can just imagine doing the same and doing it with joyful acceptance. Like that's the key. Acceptance, okay, I can accept it. But with joy? I'm supposed to be okay with this? We are so one. If you suffer, I suffer with you. Your property is being taken by either governing authorities or mob violence. We don't know. It could have been either one. Here, take mine as well. I'm glad to suffer with you. Now, how is this possible? Well, because as he said in verse 32, they've been enlightened. So their hearts and minds have been transformed by Jesus and his gospel. And the evidence is found in verse 34, because he says, you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. Now, this is setting up chapter 11 really well. We'll dig more into that starting next week, this life of faith. But the eyes of faith see beyond the, the real, see beyond what is real to what is really real, you might say. And we live in a real tangible world with real tangible stuff that we have to deal with, right? You have to buy stuff. You have to fix stuff that you buy because it breaks all the time. You have to deal with real tangible stuff in this real world we live in. Real properties being confiscated, real prison bars that they were being put behind, real tears and real suffering and pain and insults that they're hearing. So this faith that we profess is not some type of super spiritual ignorance of the physical world, like we live in this mystical bubble and nothing's supposed to bother us because of this bubble that we live in. That's not what this is talking about. We don't walk around floating as though we are not in the real world. We are. We have to deal with the real world. But with eyes of faith, we also see beyond this very tangible but temporary reality. And in some ways the eternal state will be like this physical reality. Jesus in his resurrected body, he walked and he ate and he talked and he, he, he knew people that he knew before he was crucified he, and they knew him after he was resurrected. The Bible says the new heavens and new earth will descend on a recreated, restored earth. The eternal state, heaven is not us floating off the cloud city somewhere. It's not us going to another planet. It's here. The new heavens, new earth, descend onto a recreated, reshaped earth. So there's some ways in which there is a crossover from this existence to the eternal reality. And this better and enduring possession will far surpass the best of this temporary, tangible existence. But I don't think the writer is saying you accepted with joy the confiscation of your property because you know you have a mansion in heaven coming. You know you're going to be walking on streets of gold one day. He says, they have a better and enduring possession. There has to be something we have now that is so real, so tangible, that we can have joy even as our possessions are being confiscated. And what they already have that could possibly give them that kind of joy is, of course, Jesus. (laughs) They have Jesus. He, He is the ultimate fulfillment of all of this. He is the ultimate treasure of heaven. It's not the golden streets that we're going to be going crazy about in heaven or the mansion that we have or whatever that dwelling is going to look like. It's not getting to see grandma or grandpa or whoever is is going to be up there with you, Lord willing that they, they are. The ultimate joy of eternity in heaven is being with God being His people, unhindered by sin, unhindered by time, unhindered by anything that would get in the way of us enjoying Him. He is the greatest treasure of everything that we talk about. Having Him, enjoying Him, knowing Him, living as as we're encouraged to do in this passage, drawing near to Him, enjoying living in His presence, if you are enjoying the blessings of God and not God there needs to be a heart check because he intends for us to enjoy him more than the things that he gives us he is the gift and we have Jesus now so that even as we're losing possessions because we're identifying with those who are suffering and being persecuted no one can take our greatest possession no one can take our greatest treasure kill us and we we just get more of jesus more than we already have this is the ultimate way of faith this is the ultimate eyes of faith this is the ultimate way god's created us to live and enjoy him jesus is our enduring and better possession ultimately You can take everything from me, but you cannot take Jesus from me. A popular worship song of the last 20 years, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, give me Jesus. When I'm alone, give me Jesus. When I come to die, give me Jesus. You can have the whole world, just give me Jesus. Does that resonate in your heart right now? Yes, that's who I want to be. Yes, God, help me. That's the deepest core of our being. Yes, that's the person I want to be. And and a much older song goes like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead. Like just ask the spirit of God to penetrate your heart and mind this morning. Is this me? This is what salvation is, is about. This is what Jesus came to give us. This kind of heart that wants Jesus and is satisfied with Jesus more than anything else that we can lose everything else, but as long as we still have him, we are good. And when we're tempted by our flesh and our world system and Satan himself to chase all the other treasures, all the idols that are out there, to love and find satisfaction and joy in those things more than Jesus, you have a faithful Father in heaven that will come after you and discipline you, as we'll see in Hebrews 12. And to crush the love of those idols so that the love for him will be restored will be reinvigorated will be intensified because that is where he wants you to live in our culture which prizes personal property and personal possessions like maybe no other country in the world maybe in human history individual rights this is at the core of who we are as americans to have your property seized or taken from you is one of the greatest indignities, and it wouldn't happen and doesn't happen today without either a legal struggle or even a violent struggle. And to hear of a group of people who joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because you're identifying with fellow believers who are going through the same thing, there's no other way to explain that than they've been transformed by Jesus, and their treasure truly is Jesus above anything else. And the writer is looking back on these events, remember, as a way of encouraging them to help them possibly potentially endure more of the same. Like it's a couple looking back on their dating and wedding photos, especially if their marriage is in a hard place. Remember when? Remember when we were so in love? Remember the thrill of meeting? Remember the thrill of falling in love? Remember the thrill of engagement and leading up to marriage and And all that went into that, parents who may be struggling in a relationship with a kid, just go back on your Facebook feed. Remember when they were so cute? Remember when they didn't do what they're doing now? (laughs) You know, when they're sleeping in the bed, there's nothing more beautiful than a sleeping kid. I don't care how old they are. And they're old and they're just drooling and their hair's all, it doesn't matter. There's still this amazing gift of God's grace. And you're like, okay, I could do this for another day and not kill them because they're driving me nuts right now. Not my kids. I mean, other people say this about their kids, I'm sure. Friends who are no longer friends are moved by emotions of when they were friends and memories they still share, even if they're no longer friends. Looking back, remembering is a very powerful motivation for present day devotion and dedication. Very powerful. It's why we do this every single week, communion because we want to fight and work to remember and keep remembering all that Jesus has done to make this life with him possible because we are so prone to forget. And church, if you're struggling in your love of Jesus, your devotion to his calling and your devotion to his will for your life, if your heart, which like all of our hearts, is prone to wander, look back on where you have been with him. How faithful he's been to love you And save you and keep you and work in you in ways you could never have asked or imagined. We sing a song sometimes, the goodness of God. All my life, he's been faithful. Me and Jennifer can hardly sing that song without tears. Like we're actually talking about getting it tatted somewhere on our body. Just because it, it just is like our heart just leaping out of us saying, yes. All of our life, he has been faithful. And has done beyond anything we could ask or imagine. And we want to declare it, and you want to declare it because he has been so good. His faithfulness in the struggles, his faithfulness to endure you and to keep you. When you've hit rock bottom and you have found that the rock you hit was in fact Christ, and he is a strong rock that you can stand on no matter what you face, and nothing will move that rock. To remain faithful to Christ and his calling your life today requires a look back especially when it's hard and the struggle is real. We've been here before. Jesus is with us. He is present. He is faithful. He is kind, and he won't leave us nor forsake us, and so we keep pressing forward. Like a big part of our missional communities, as we launch out our missional communities this far, and and we're, that's about to happen in more ways Right, right now, we think we have four missional communities. If you don't know what I'm talking about, if you're Hey, I don't, I don't think anybody's talked to me about being in a missional community. Just let me or, or Joseph know before you leave today uh, or text Jesse if you have his number. Um, and we'd love to find out how to connect you with a small group. Missional communities doing life together in our city, pressing the gospel forward. But a big part of what they're going to do as they begin to meet this fall is simply share stories. Like we want to go slower than we've gone before to make sure not only we know each other in, in the deepest way we can possibly know each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. as we share those stories God is glorified here's all the ways he's been faithful here's all the ways he's taken care of us here's all the ways he's helped here's all the ways he's endured us through hard times God is faithful to do those things and and what happens is when we share those stories other people hear it and they're like you're right he is amazing I have been through that if I ever go through that I'm gonna remember this story but then we also hear it again and it's a reminder to our soul. He is amazing. He is faithful to keep us no matter what we go through. Don't ring that bell because you remember how he's been faithful in the past. Don't throw away your confidence. Verse 35 says, that's great reward. Don't throw it away. Don't tap out. Don't walk away. He's brought you through all of that. He'll bring, it through you, uh, bring you through it again. But we're not just encouraged to look back. We're also Encouraged to look forward. Verse 36. For you need endurance, so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Another form of warning passage here, as well as encouragement. Actually, in verse 37 is a warning, uh, 38 rather. Who are those who will be rewarded? Those who have done God's will, those who have endured. This is not works salvation. But it is true that if you are part of the enlightened, your mind and heart have been transformed by Jesus. You all of a sudden have a desire to obey and do God's will, whereas before there was no true desire to do God's will. Your deepest desire is not to destroy your life in sin, but to run away from sin to Jesus. We covered this all last week. Someone who professes to be a Christian who willingly, unashamedly persists in sin could end up proving they are in fact not a genuine follower of Jesus because they love their sin more than they love jesus anyone can profess to be a christian it's it's what happens over time is there an endurance is there a perseverance is it true your entire life because anyone today who professes to be a christian can one day walk away proving that they never really were and this is why these warning passages are used by god to keep us faithful to keep us enduring because we keep checking okay am i Okay, all right, Dad, let's go. Let's keep at it. He wants us to live with assurance. Yes, live with assurance, but we don't take our salvation for granted. We don't just assume we're saved. We're looking for fruit and we're constantly asking Him, continue to affirm who I am in you so that we can live with assurance and not live weighed down by doubt. As we'll see in Hebrews 12, if you are a true child of God who You persist in sin, he will discipline you. He disciplines those he loves, his kids. But if you're not his kid, then it's just judgment. It's just judgment. Now, just as willful, rebellious sin marks those who are not his, so also faithful endurance and perseverance to do his will marks those who are his, and they will receive future reward. Now, that just doesn't mean we achieve or experience a life of sinless perfection, But the bent of our life is toward Jesus and away from rebellion and sin. And even when we go through a season in which we struggle more than before, we will come back. We will return because he's coming after us to bring us back. He's the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go get the one. And we have that promise. We will once again embrace Christ. It's what separates those who are truly his from those who are not. So this is not the weight of performance pressure put on us in verse 36. You better, God's not up there saying, you better, I'm watching. You step out of line, boom, lightning bolt. That's not what he's saying here. It's more like encouragement, a reward is coming. You want to do God's will. He's changed your heart. You've embraced him. This is part of your endurance. This is part of how you live this out until the end. He says there in verse 37, the end when the coming one comes. Now, this is end times language. Jesus is coming again. Every day we're a little bit closer to Jesus returning. This is something we believe that definitely makes us a peculiar people. There's no way to soften this or make this palatable to a culture that is skeptical about everything we believe. There's just some things that we believe that are going to make us weird, and we have to be okay with that. When we're we're basing our entire life on a guy from Nazareth... Rising from the dead 2,000 years ago, it's hard to make that even culturally acceptable or easy to swallow for everyone. Like you, you base every decision uh, in your entire life on what Jesus said and what Jesus wants you to do. Your entire life is captivated by this man, Jesus. Your entire life is given away in sacrifice and devotion to serve Jesus and make him known. And, and he's a guy who lived where, when, and did what? But it's who we are. We are a peculiar people. And oh, by the way, we also believe he's coming again. He didn't just come the first time as a suffering servant. He's coming the second time, not as the humble suffering servant from Nazareth, but as the king of the universe who will bust open the sky in a way that everyone on earth will see. He's not going to be the little baby in the manger. He's going to be Revelation 19. I saw heaven open and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a fiery flame and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. He has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, we really believe this is going to happen in a very real, tangible way. He's going to bust the sky open. The time for proclaiming the gospel will come to an end. His grace and mercy will come to an end. It will only be his people and those who are not his people. And the eternal state will begin and we desire to remain faithful to the end because if you keep reading in revelation those who aren't with him are against him and it does not go well it's not like this great battle you might see depicted in movies who's going to win good or evil no no there's no battle there's just a massacre a look forward keeps us motivated to endure stay faithful to jesus not because we're afraid if we step out of line, we're gonna eat a lightning bolt. But because we've seen Jesus through the eyes of faith, and there's no one like him, when you really see who he is, as the writer of Hebrews has been declaring for 10 chapters, why else would you cast your lot with anyone or anything else? Who else is like him? Who else has his character and nature and 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 and, and qualities and attributes? Who else has done what he's done for you, for me? Why would you pledge your allegiance to anyone or anything else? Why would anyone or anything else have your heart more than him? We're not not motivated to, to, to chase after Jesus through fear. We're motivated and transformed by faith. By God's grace, we see clearly There's no one like him. Of course he has our life and our heart. And with him there is life, and apart from him there's only death. And then lastly, verse 38, 39, another warning passage, another encouragement as we close out this book, uh, this chapter. Verse 38, but my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed but those who have faith and are saved. This warning passage is drawn from the book of Habakkuk, the prophet of God in the Old Testament during the time of the fall of Jerusalem around 600 B.C. God revealed to this this prophet that he was going to use the Babylonians to come and conquer and crush Jerusalem as part of his discipline of his people for abandoning him and worshiping false gods. And Habakkuk, a prophet of God, was so confused. How could this happen? It's three short chapters. You can read it in 10 minutes. The Babylonians they worship false gods too. So God, why would you use a wicked and pagan people to crush your people for similar sins? And Habakkuk is working through all of this turmoil in his heart trying to come to terms with what this says about the character and nature of God. And not only does he come to realize that it doesn't make sense, I don't understand. I don't I don't know why God's choosing to do this, but I know it's going to happen because God has said is going to happen, and my faith is in God and his word, even if it doesn't make sense. The righteous, God's people, he says, live by faith, live by faith in God and his word. We believe God, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it causes us to suffer and struggle, even if like Job, our belief in God puts us in this crucible of testing our faith so that we know that it's real. Even if believing in God causes us to be persecuted, we believe him, we trust him, we know he is good, we know he is at work even when life is at its worst. In Habakkuk, the end of the book closes with this confession, uh, verse 3, chapter 3 rather, verse 16. I heard and I trembled within, my lips quivered at the sound, rottenness entered my bones, I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. This is where he's left. And it scared him to death because he knew it was coming, because he believes God. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, description of the judgment that's about to come. This is about to happen. Verse 18, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Even when life is at its worst and I don't understand what God is doing or why he's doing it, my faith is in him, not circumstances going the way I think they should go. My faith is in him no matter the circumstances. He is the object of my faith, not what I think or what I want. Hebrew Christians, you have suffered much and more suffering is coming. Where are your eyes looking? Where is your faith? How will you once again endure and not walk away and tap out? How will you suffer again for Jesus and not look for a way out? Well, the writer knows them. And while Hebrews contains more warning passages than any other book in the New Testament, The writer has so much confidence in the good work of Jesus in them. He says in verse 39, we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. We are not those who draw back and are destroyed. We press in. We continue because we live in him. Crossing church, we are also not those who draw back and are destroyed, we don't walk away. By God's grace, we will be here doing what we do, continuing to saturate this city with Jesus and his gospel. Why? Well, we don't, we don't face persecution in our area, especially nothing close to persecution, not like these believers, but we do face temptations and the normal struggles of life that everyone faces. It's unbelievable to, be, be, unbelievable to me what, just talking to Reed, driving over here this morning, like, crazy day he had yesterday and it's having today trying just to get a car to drive. Sickness, illness, mental health struggles, physical issues, apathy, idolatry, malaise, depression, distraction. Maybe some are even suffering from what's called the cave syndrome. Have you ever heard of the cave syndrome? People who've had to work at home so much or do school at home so much that, that they're having trouble leaving the cave to go interact in normal human ways that we interacted before COVID. And they've actually labeled it the cave syndrome. And that might be where some people are struggling but we don't quit we don't tap out we are together pulling and pushing and praying and striving to emerge and remain and press this gospel and reality of Jesus forward as the people of God in this city and beyond our cities we send to support those who are sent beyond our city and as we walk this out we hear voices calling on us to quit maybe even we struggle with that like the flesh this voice that we hate, just stop, just go home. What All this effort, all this energy, for what? Does it really even matter? Just these things that go through our mind. And we are shouting to each other, don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't ring that bell. Don't tap out. Continue. Persevere. It's going to be worth it because he is worth it. And we already have him. So let's endure. We're just around the corner from another reminder of his grace. We're just around the bend from another victory of the power and the presence of God in us. There are good things coming because Jesus is good and he's with us always. So continue to press forward by God's grace and enjoy him. As we enter a time of prayer before we sing and then share in communion, I just want to give you a few moments right where you are as best as you can with kids being kids. We love them. Make noise. That's what is a blessing of God. But as best you can, enter this time of reflection and consider how the Spirit and Word of God is speaking to you. Just listen to the Spirit. What is He saying? Listen to the Word of God. What is He saying? Words of encouragement, words of conviction, words of life, words of challenge. Maybe even for some, words of salvation because you've never really trusted in Jesus for life and salvation so just listen and then respond in repentance and faith and obedience and then I'll pray Father, you have been so, so faithful. You have been so, so good. We could spend the rest of this day going around this room and hearing stories of your presence with your people through really, really hard stuff. Some things that people are walking through right now. And as we'll hear later in Hebrews, you do not leave us nor forsake us. We are yours. You are ours forever and ever and ever, all because of Jesus. So it's him we ultimately want to celebrate and enjoy and worship. It's him we ultimately want to get the spotlight, not us, not our stories of hardship and struggle. Ultimately, we want it to be about him. Why wouldn't we struggle? Who do we think we are that we won't struggle or have difficulties It is the human condition, and we are not exempt. But we thank you that you are with us no matter what. We thank you that you have put us in fellowship and community with people who will scream at the top of their lungs not to quit, to stay faithful, to continue on. And even more than that, you are filling us with enduring strength. You're so good. I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you in this way. They just know about Jesus, but Jesus has not come in to dwell inside of them and make them a new person, that today would be the day of their salvation as they repent and trust in Jesus. And we would know about it because they would tell us and we would celebrate with them. I pray for most of this room, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are some situations we know of, some we don't. But the struggle is real the hurt. Maybe it was an amazing act of obedience just to show up in this room today. So Jesus, minister to my brother and sister. Surround them with the people of God today that they would leave encouraged to continue on, not throwing away this confidence, but pressing forward in faith. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.